0: Well, welcome back. Our first question, uh, somebody is uh, quoting out of um, an Ellen White book uh, entitled um, Christian Experience and Teachings. And the uh, quotation says, uh, come, up to the t- come up to the time of the falling of the plagues and then see that they needed to be hewed and squared for the building. But there will be no time then to do it and no mediator to plead their cause before the Father. That's the end of the quote. Can you explain uh, the law lens and the need for a mediator? So if you notice, this quotation is using symbolic language. Hewed and squared for the building. It's talking about the people. If you read the larger quotation, it's talking about individuals, their hearts, minds, characters. They are being hewed and squared. And The building, of course, is the sanctuary in heaven. And we are the building blocks um, uh, upon which the uh, sanctuary in heaven is, is, is built. And it's talking about squaring or hewing for the building meaning our characters being transformed to be like Christ. And so, um, and they're talking about at the time at this time, all hearts are sealed. Those have been settled fully into the lies about God, that no truth and love will have any transferring power because they have destroyed the faculties that respond to it. And those who have been sealed of God, but that seal the Holy Spirit, that they are so settled in the truth that nothing can shake them from it. So all people have been settled one way or the other at the time that you're reading this. And this idea of no mediator to plead their cause before the Father, that's... That's what Jesus has been doing ever since his ascension. He has been working as the father's agent, just like the, fa- uh, the the father sent Christ to the earth to be our intercessor in the sin problem, to intercede where we could not, to cure the problem that we could not. And when he ascended back to heaven, Jesus said, when I go, the the the, um, the Comforter will come, and He will not speak on His own. He's going to speak only what He hears, and He's who's He listening to? He is Jesus represented on the earth. So, before the purview of the Father, Jesus continues to carry out the plan of salvation. Pleading the cause for every one of us that the Holy Spirit takes and brings conviction to the heart. But once probation is closed, Jesus leaves his intercessory role to plead with us via the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. And no one is pleading our cause anymore because all hearts have been either. One, to loyal trust, and there's no more work to shape and fix us because we are now ready to stand in God's presence. We're so hardened against God that no one will respond anymore to his pleading. So there's no purpose in him to continue in that mission. If you hear it through the old uh, human-imposed law lens, then you read that and you project in this idea that God is uh, needing to be pled with. It's very Roman. Um, Not only is God, uh, not only is Jesus, but Mary and all the saints are also up there pleading because God really has to be worked on. But that's not the biblical truth. All right, next question. I have a few yes or no questions. Since everyone who died uh, will rise again, won't that be a lot of people on Earth all at once? Yes. Uh, Next question. Um, Since we come back with the uh, same mindset as when we fell asleep, will we have the same body? No. Uh, The the righteous, this, and Paul describes this in both First uh, Corinthians fifteen and First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. That at the, res- at the uh, second coming, um, this mortal puts on immortality, and this corruption puts on incorruption. So the righteous get new heavenly bodies, and Paul talks about that in First Corinthians fifteen. Uh, the wicked, however, do not rise again in at the at the second coming. The wicked on earth are put. To Sleep into the first death, and the wicked dead stay dead they don't rise again until the third coming at the end of the thousand years, and they do not rise in immortal bodies; they rise in mortal ones um, but the, if you're asking the same body if you mean if you're saying do we get the body that's uh, that if it was not uh, cremated or eaten by a shark and digested, uh, do we get the body that we buried into the uh, into the ground into a casket no. Uh, Most human bodies throughout history have degraded back into the uh, dust. That's what the Bible says. Dust you were taken and dust you'll return. And there's nothing in scripture that says the same particles of matter or the molecules that made up this physical body will be the same exact molecules that make up our new body. So, no, we don't get the same body. Will children rise too? Yes. Wouldn't, uh, Wouldn't the changed world be a shock to those who died hundreds of years ago? Yes. Uh, will there be recognition? Example, Hitler. And would the wicked who knew about him say, hey, that's Hitler, he's bad, and not want to join or be associated with him? No. In other words, that's it's a yes and no. They will recognize, people will be recognized for who they are, and it won't make a difference. Uh, and, and if you have a hard time understanding that, I just want you to imagine <clears throat> you uh, turn around And you're in a burning building and the building is about to collapse and there's one window with a slide that if you jump out and slide on it, you'll slide to safety. But you happen to notice as you're running to this window, Hitler's running to the window with you and he's going to jump out that same window. Are you going to go, well, if Hitler's jumping out it, I'm not. It won't matter that these other wicked people see other wicked people. They're all in the same boat and they all have the same delusion about what they think the solution is, so they're all going to work together. Please share your thoughts about the following. It may be necessary to devote even hours of the Holy Sabbath or the relief to the suffering of humanity. Um, I don't have any thoughts about that. So, um, next one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So this one says, uh, Graves are opened, and many of them... That sleep in the dust of the earth, awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, all who have died in the faith of the third angel's message uh, come forth from the tomb, glorified to hear god's covenant of peace with those who have kept his holy law. They also which pierced him, those that mocked and derided christ's dying agonies and most and the most violent oppressors of the truth and his people are raised to behold him in his glory and to see the honor placed upon him, upon the loyal obedient. Great Controversy 637. What is your understanding of this? Uh, The quote has been uh, coupled with other Ellen White to suggest that some of the pioneers, including Ellen White, will resurrect in a special resurrection before the advent. I don't see uh, this. Okay, so first off, the special resurrection does not apply to the righteous. The idea of a special resurrection comes from Christ's, words to those who crucified him that was quoted in this passage and that revelation says that uh, you will see when jesus said to those at this trial you will see the son of man coming in glory sitting at the right hand of his father and then revelation says uh, that uh, when he comes every eye shall see him even those who pierced him this is uh, these two texts have uh, caused the idea of a special resurrection which is that the second coming of christ that only the wicked who were involved in the crucifixion of Christ 2,000 years ago will rise to see him at that time to know what the, that what he spoke to them is true. And then they go back to death with all the other living wicked on the earth at the time of the second coming. And, they don't, and then they rise again at the end of the thousand years with all the wicked. That's the special resurrection. The righteous, whether they're Adventist pioneers or Martin Luther or Daniel who was sleeping in the dust according to Daniel chapter 12, All the other righteous through history rise at the second coming, and that's uh, including the pioneers and any other faithful people. That's not a special resurrection. That is the resurrection. Many, myself included, thought that the king of the north would come as a kind of worldwide red wave uh, from people fed up with leftist policies. This seems to be more and more remote. Brazil, the biggest democracy in South America, has fallen to communism due to fraud and betrayal. There will be no return. Seems the same in many other countries. It occurred to me recently that the king of the north just uh, could be when Satan himself comes impersonating Jesus to fix the world. What do you think? Uh, I think that that's very possible. The Bible's very clear that the, the king of the south, which is all this leftist a godless stuff makes it push and then the king of the north um storms out and destroys and takes his power and wealth and then michael stands up so uh whomever the ultimate king of the north is it's going to be some form of religious imperialism and that certainly could be what we understand revelation teaches and uh, about the um beastly power rising in a religious way to control the world and impersonate christ so that certainly could be I mean, remember, both of the King of the North and the King of the South, if you trace it through history, are both Satan's puppets and Satan's agents. So, yes, certainly he's behind it either way. Uh, John fourteen four eighteen, when God told the Samaritan woman she she had five husbands and the current one is not her husband, um, did she really have five husbands in the past? Uh, yes, I would I would think that Christ was telling the truth there. I wouldn't want to suggest Christ was. Um, um, misspeaking or or saying something that wasn't true. Uh, so yes, yeah, she did. And the current person that she was with, uh, she was living with somebody in a, uh intimate way that she was not at that time married to. John 4.24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. Explain how this verse applies to Satan's last day trickeries. So I encourage when you, when you have that kind of stuff, you want to get some insights into what I might say, check our Remedy New Testament. If you go to uh, either your Remedy app on your phone which, or your smart device that you download or you've got one in print or you can go to our website and you can look that up right there. And this is how I, I rendered it in, uh, in the Remedy. Uh, the, the original is, um, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit of truth. And I rendered it, God is intelligent and reasonable and his worshipers must worship him intelligently and reasonably appreciating and valuing truth of God's methods and principles, which, which tells us really what's going on. Another way to add to it would be God is spirit and truth. The spirit is in spirit of truth and love. And therefore, God wants us to worship him in truth and love. And this would be both intellectually and spiritually. And Ellen White says the seal are those who um, are so settled into the truth, both intellectually, they know the truth, and spiritually, their hearts love the truth and they resonate with it, that they can't be. uh, So God wants people who are true to him in their understanding, in their beliefs, in their um, attitudes, but also in their heart motives. And that's what I think that means. What did Jesus mean when he was talking about John the Baptist in Luke 7, 28, where he said, I tell you, among those born of women, there are no greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom uh, of God is greater than he. And so, uh, again, I rendered it in the remedy this way. I tell you plainly, no person born on earth prior to John has any more important role in God's plan to save humanity than John the Baptist. Yet even those with the least role on earth who are in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than he is here. So I think that's pretty straightforward of what what I think it means. Was the wine in Jesus' day the same as alcohol today? People justify drinking alcohol by recounting Jesus turning water into wine and... Uh, that he and that he drank wine. Seeing how addictive and destructive alcohol can be, I have a hard time believing that Jesus would promote it. I know many texts uh, discourage drunkenness, but uh, Ellen White seems to discourage even drinking at all. Also, in the Councils to the Church, he says the wine Christ made was pure juice of the grape. So, so the difficulty here is, is several layers because it's not an either-or question according to Scripture and and uh, and. Um, whether wine is alcoholic or non-alcoholic wine. Um, uh, in, in the uh, uh, Greek, the, the word wine can, can mean fermented or unfermented. And so we have to look at context and structure. And I agree with Ellen White's interpretation that at the wedding, when Jesus turned the water to wine, he was making really fresh, sweet grape juice. And that's consistent with the text. Further, I agree that Jesus didn't drink alcoholic beverages because um, he was a Nazarite and, uh, and, and the Nazarites would, would forescore um, uh, these things. At least I think that was true. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I'll have to check that. But anyway, um, I don't think he took wine because wine uh, was fermented and fermentation, just like yeast in bread, was a, a symbol of sin. And he wouldn't take things that were symbolic of sin. So I think that might be a better explanation. However, the Bible um, and the Bible does talk against drunkenness. Um, but in the Old Testament, we talked about it a few weeks ago. In Deuteronomy, the God God instructed them to take their tithe and by fermented wine. And the and the uh, Hebrew has specific words for unfermented and unfermented wine. And the Greek, uh, me, the Hebrew there it explicitly means the fermented kind, not the unfermented kind. And they were to do that in worship to God. And the reason uh, for that is related to the fact that uh, this is what they drank. They lived in an arid society. You, you uh, stored up wine, it either turned to vinegar or it slowly fermented. It was a weak wine. And ethanol is ethanol. It's just a matter of amount the concentration. So, yes, any wine in the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, any alcoholic beverage in the Bible contains the same chemical substance as alcoholic beverages today. The only question is, is the concentration. Is it 5% alcohol? Is it 10? Is it 12? Is its it, is it is the concentration? Concentration, But the ethanol substance is the same molecule or chemical. Additionally, Paul tells uh, Timothy that he should uh, periodically drink uh, wine to help with his stomach. Uh, this is almost certainly not talking about grape juice. You have to understand that in the culture and time in which they lived, particularly going to more urban settings, the cities where like Corinth and Rome and places where people lived and not in the rural settings. In the rural settings where you're out in nature, it may not be as big a deal. But in the cities, there were lots of uh, um, uh, well, the water was not purified. And you had a significant chance of getting various bacteria and infecting agents. And and Timothy was having a lot of GI upset. And Paul was telling him drink a little wine to keep your stomach okay. Stop, stop all this GI upset. In other words, he was probably getting dysentery and uh, And this is why um throughout the the um, middle ages and the days of the sailing ships, uh, most of the uh, various um, sailors and and uh, explorers would would give their personnel weak wine or ale because the low levels of alcohol would kill the pathogens and would keep them from getting dysentery and dying and so there was a medicinal application used there as well but Paul was not telling Timothy to get drunk. He was telling him to use it as a medicinal to protect himself from being sick. And so, um, yes, I would agree with you and your question that nowhere would Jesus be advocating for anything that would be harmful to our human physiology, our minds, our brains, or our characters like drunkenness. So, all right, that's it. Any questions in the room? Thank you all. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the way you have run your kingdom. We thank you that you have given us a mind that can study and understand these truths and that we can be converted over to be loyal and faithful to you because we are fully convinced in our own mind that yours is the only true way. We ask that you will lead us to be positive witnesses in our community this week and that we will see you again next week as we study together. We pray in your holy name. Amen.